Vamos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes. Y Presidente es la mejor cerveza. Y Mom and Dad Water son el mejor bebidas. No abate por No Filter Network. Will the Thrill Clark y Miguelino Sandiaguito. But each and every single morning, we are going to come on here and properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. It is as simple as that. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 26th day of October 2023. And we are now presented by Bet Online. That's right. Juices Wild Daily Hustle. Presented by Bet Online. The last of the major Pro Sports Leagues kick off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action. It's fantastic. With MLB postseason, NFL, and college football, and NHL in full swing, Bet Online in yours is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code. This is it. Believe. B L E A V, all capitals, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So this morning I got up and there's got to be at least an inch of snow. It is crazy. The mountain above over here is covered in white. So yesterday it started snowing actually when we were on the show. And I pointed the camera over that way. I don't think it did a real good job of capturing the flurries coming down. But ultimately, I went running later in the day. And it began dumping. And I'm talking like serious, serious snow. Almost blizzard, whiteout type conditions. It was that bad. And I say that bad. It was also that good. I captured a moment on my IG and I posted it this morning. But really, the big moment was it came after because it was snowing so hard. And again, I, of course, tried to capture it with my phone, but I was unable to do so because there was so much moisture and it just won't record or whatever. And my hands were fucking freezing, man. So anyhow, here we go with today's Daily Hustle email that just went out. This morning. Buenos dias. Today is Wednesday, 
October 26, 2023. It is currently 25 degrees, probably a little warmer now. Yeah, it says 34. But uh, in Truckee, California, and no filter network resident meteorologist, Stormy Burns is reporting that we received at least an inch of snow yesterday. Daily Hustle quote of the day. The human race has one really effective weapon. Anybody? Laughter. Daily Hustle translation. We all take shit way too seriously. Most of the reason why this is the case is because we believe we are the center of the universe and the world should be revolving around us and all of our problems, needs, and desires. Meanwhile, the truth of the matter is everyone has their own issues and nobody gives a fuck about 99% of our petty little problems. So we might as well go, we might as well get over ourselves, put a smile on our face and move on. During my life, I feel like I've dealt with a multitude of heavy things, deaths, disappointments, rejections, that most people would consider no laughing matter. Yet, there are two main things that have repeatedly proven to be the ultimate healers that have inevitably helped me charge forward with my life. Time and laughter. As Kowalski and I have taken on plenty of over-the-top epic endurance adventures, we have found ourselves vulnerable and compromised in countless occurrences. Just to name a few, over the years, we have had a run-in with a mountain lion, a great white shark encounter. We became lost in the desert with no water and got ourselves stuck on top of a mountain without proper gear rapidly falling darkness and below freezing temps. In each case, we used humor as our way out, whether it was, hee little kitty, hee little kitty, calls to the lion, singing baby shark, or preparing and reciting each other's eulogies. We attacked what appeared to be pretty dark situations with light humor and literally laughed our fucking way out of it. This all said, next time we find ourselves in a tough spot with our backs seemingly against the wall, let's make sure we pull out Mark Twain's weapon of choice. See ya, EB. So, yeah, I look, this one, try to get my mic straight here, by the way. Kind of a funky little setup. I don't know if it's like bending here or whatever, but there, a little better. Anyhow, the laughter thing is real because even in the most intense moments of a sporting event, when you're able to smile and when you're able to laugh, basically what happens is that there's a clarity that comes over your mind and body. And the only thing that we can hope for in both of those situations is to 
resort back to our training. That is what matters, and that's ultimately what we would want to do. So, for example, Joe Montana was about to drive down the field to attempt a game-winning touchdown that they needed over the Cincinnati Bengals in one of the early Super Bowls that the 49ers were in. As they had, I don't know, I think it was like 90-some-odd yards to go, Joe's sitting there in the huddle with Harris Barton and John Taylor, Jerry Rice, and the rest of this crew. And he said he could feel the tension. But here's Joe. He looks into the crowd and he sees John Candy. And he goes, hey, isn't that John Candy over there? And Harris Barton tells his story just so perfectly. And everybody all of a sudden looks over. It's like, oh, yeah, that's John Candy. All right, cool. Let's go. And then he drove them down the field, hitting John Taylor in the back of the end zone for the game winner. So basically, what I'm trying to say is that in the height of whatever situation we could think of, any seri- any perceived serious situation in life, whether it's dealing with a time where we feel like, damn, man, it's going to be tough getting out of this. <laughs> Top of the mountain thing, that was Mount Lemon. I'm not talking to you, Siri. Jeez. It was Mount Lemon. And Kowalski and I had ridden our bikes up to the top, and we were stuck. And we were pretty much fucked because what happened was we went up there with pretty light gear. If you think about when you're riding up a mountain, you're shedding gear. You don't want to have a ton on you. So we went up with like a light windbreaker, some pretty light gloves. I don't think we had hand warmers. We knew it was going to be cold, and we knew by the time we got to the top of the mountain, it was going to be, you know, probably in the 20s, but we're like, yeah, no big deal. We'll turn around and ride down. Well, what happened is it got dark and it took us longer to get up. And then we were stuck. And then we had to like, literally like it's us and our bikes on the top of this mountain. And we ended up hitchhiking our way down, throwing our bikes in the back of the truck. It was so cold and it got down. It it got way colder than we could have ever imagined. I think it probably... I don't know. Let's call it like maybe low twenties, maybe in the teens, freezing, freezing. And I'm someone who deals with cold weather all the time, but we had to wrap ourselves up in these meat freezer bags. I guess it, what what they were. I'll never forget it. Going down the Mount Lemon Highway, and I'm wrapped up in a meat freezer bag, and I'm looking up at the stars, and just both of us. We were out of our minds. I mean, probably a bit delusional uh, at that point. The same sort of thing happened. We were in the desert and we got trapped out there, but we got lost. Kowalski had no water. I actually did. So we had, I had two things of water. I was very conservative with it. Kowalski was not conservative with his. So I gave him one of my waters while I took the other one and ran back. But before that, it was like, fuck, man, we, we think we're going this way. We're not positive that we're going this way, but let me try to go get some more water and then come back 
and backtrack and get Kowalski because at this point he was trying to conserve energy. He didn't want to run. And I, I didn't blame him. It's just, I'm like, look, dude, just hike out. Try, do everything you can to hike out. I'll go get the water. So, you know, these are pretty dire situations. And, you know, honestly, scary at, at times. But the only, like, look, we could deal with them with panic. We could deal with them in a way that is only going to make it worse. Or we put a smile on our face and start cracking jokes and give each other's eulogies. That's exactly what happened. All right. There was this story here about an Alabama man who walked four hours round trip to work for 12-hour night shifts. And I guess this guy every day would go back and forth. It says, for the past five years, Ernest Chandler has trekked two hours to work and two hours back because he didn't have a car. The 53-year-old home in Decatur, Alabama is about five and a half miles from his environmental cleaning job where he drives a water truck and works 12-hour shifts seven nights a week. It says, though, Chandler sometimes got rides from coworkers or friends. He often found himself making the four-hour round-trip walk in good weather and bad. Chandler's long commutes will now be a thing of the past after a trusted friend and co-worker decided to give him a life-changing gift, a car. The men shared their heartwarming story with USA Today on Tuesday. So, yeah, pretty cool gift. Pretty cool gift. I reserve judgment a little bit because, hey, look. A couple hours of walking, four for him during the day to and from. I think that's good for you. Like, what are we doing? I I, I hope he takes the car, and I hope he keeps walking. I really do. I I, mean, I, I I'm going to stay optimistic that this guy has fallen in love with the whole walking thing. And if that's the case, then he'll take the car, but he's going to continue to make the trek. People act like that's a bad thing, like poor him. It's like, fuck you. Get your steps up, man. I think poor everybody else. Appreciate the gift. Fantastic gesture, 100%. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. All right. So there was another thing that Will Cope sent me this morning. Will, I used to work with at MLB Network. And he's like, yo, did you see this? Harvey Lewis has won Big Dog's Backyard Ultra, one of the most impressive athletic accomplishments ever. Here's how it works. Competitors run a 4.16 mile loop every hour over hilly terrain if they complete their lap in under an hour they can use the remaining time to eat drink sleep and recover however they must begin the next loop at the start of the next hour 
and keep repeating this until they can't continue any longer. The race has no set end and finishes when only one person is left able to run. The rest having pulled out through exhaustion, injury, or lack of sleep. But here's the craziest part. the This year's race went on for 108 hours. That means Harvey Lewis ran four miles every hour for nearly five straight days. 108 hours of running, 450 miles covered. This is a new world record. At one point, it says he was taking 60-second naps before starting his next lap. That's absolute insanity. Yes, it is. I mean, just, I have a tough time wrapping my head around this one. Now, the interesting thing is that when I did the 24-hour world record of golf thing, we actually had a similar distance. It was a little more, but my goal was to complete around an hour. And I knew if I could stay on that pace, I would be able to break the world record. Now, it was a little bit uh, longer. And obviously, I was only going for 24 hours. So this guy didn't play golf through all of this, but he did run through all this and just kept going and doing that for five straight days. I don't know. I mean, I guess there were times where I would come in and say my first round was 41 minutes. I had 19 minutes to do whatever I wanted to do. The question is, did he have to start the next lap on the hour or is he able to stay ahead of it? I don't know. It sounds like he almost had to start, wait for the next one to start the loop. And then if he came in for 59 minutes, he would get one minute off and that's it. And if he came in anything better than that, a wild feat. And once again, pushing the boundaries of what is possible for the human body. Too often we put limitations on what we think we are capable of doing. All right. The unlikely matchup with unlikely Princeton roots. That's right. Texas and Arizona each made incredible turnarounds to reach the fall classic and have front office roots in the Princeton baseball program. It was Wednesday morning, not even 12 hours after the Diamondbacks won the National League pennant to earn a World Series matchup against the Rangers when Princeton baseball coach Scott Bradley's phone buzzed. It was a group text. The senders were Mike Hazen and Chris Young, two of his former players and the general managers of the D-backs and Rangers, respectively. Coach, we want you here, the text said. Whatever games you can make, we'll make it happen. That's fucking cool, man. That is really cool. Even if you don't think Princeton is cool, that is cool. Two guys that played for Princeton that went on to have professional careers. I mean, especially Chris Young. I mean, he played 10 plus years in the big leagues. 
And now they're both general managers of teams going to the World Series. So what do they do? They're like, yo, let's group text our old coach Scott and get him out to the games. That's so awesome. Uh, 25 years after Young, a two-sport star from Highland Park High in Dallas, met Hazen, the Princeton senior captain and outfielder on a recruiting visit at Princeton. The two close friends and fellow alumni are meeting in the World Series that they immediately reached out to their former coach, spoke to the bonds they have to one another, to Princeton and to Bradley. Each has called on Bradley during times of professional and personal crisis. This time, the connection was to share the joy of one of the most unlikely World Series they made possible. Both are just unbelievable, Bradley said. Both are true leaders. Both understand the importance of culture. Both are highly competitive. And both are regular, everyday guys who understand people and how important that is in this game. Jeez. All right. I mean, do I need any more here for the sabermetric geeks that thinks this game is played on paper? This is the Princeton head coach. This is two guys that went to Princeton. I mean, obviously a prestigious Ivy League school known as one of the better colleges in the world. And we have Scott Bradley on here, the Princeton head coach, talking about the importance of people and dealing with people and relationships. Awesome. Among Princeton alumni are 43 Rhodes Scholars including Bill Bradley and 25 Nobel Prize winners, including John Nash, Eugene O'Neill, and Richard Feynman. A bit less famously, the school has also produced 31 major leaguers. It's not bad. Seven of them coached by Bradley, including Young and Will Venable. Now the Rangers bench coach. I was going to say, Will Venable, he's got to be getting a job here shortly. Like, really shortly. Probably the guy they're grooming to take over for the Rangers. So, you got to imagine Boach will be there for a couple more years. But then this is going to be Will Venable's job. Since baseball began at Princeton in November of 1864, as a school's first varsity sport, the university has produced 97 professional baseball players. Hazen and Young are among the 43 coached by Bradley. Young with the 2015 Royals and Mo Berg with the 1925 Senators are the only Princeton players to appear in the World Series. Berg later became a famous World War II spy for the Office of Strategic Services. Now, two Princeton alumni are in the World Series as general managers who pulled off two of the most stunning pennant-winning turnarounds in modern times. Over the two seasons entering this year, Arizona and Texas had lost more games than every team except Washington and Pittsburgh. Just two years ago, the Dimebacks lost 110 games in Hazen's fifth season running the team, and the Rangers lost 102 in Young's first with Texas. We've been texting back and forth throughout the postseason, Young said of Hazen. We missed playing together at Princeton by one year but he was one of the first guys I met on my recruiting trip. I could not be happier for him, especially after all he's been through. Hazen lost his wife, Nicole, to breast cancer August 4, 2022. Wow, I didn't know that. 
What Mike has done is Nicole battled her illness. It just breaks my heart thinking about it. What he and his boys went through, Bradley said. Hazen was Bradley's first captain. A former nine-year Major League veteran, Bradley took over the Princeton program in 1998. I'd been an assistant at Rutgers, and Mike caught my eye, Bradley said. Just the way he did things, you could see he was a dynamic leader. He was my first captain his senior year. He was a terrific player. I wasn't that far from playing, and I kept calling up local scouts. Where are you guys? He throws left, bats right outfielder, who was a phenomenal base runner with tremendous leadership quality. It was my first team, and it was important to build a culture. There were times when something would happen on the field, and I would start walking over to talk to someone, and Mike would put his arm up in front of me to stop me and say, I got it, coach. He knew when to take someone aside. He would tell me, you and I are going to the dining hall. Let's talk. Oh. The Padres drafted Hayes in the 31st round of 1998. So basically, he's my age. He played two seasons in the low minors before an arm injury prompted the Padres to release him. Hazen called Bradley. Coach, I just got released. Hazen said, I don't know what to do. Hazen didn't want to go home to Massachusetts. He wasn't sure if he was truly done playing. Why don't you come here, Bradley said. Hazen moved in with the Bradley family. He continued to work out in case another opportunity arose. After a short while, Bradley called up Peter Gammons, the baseball writer. Peter, I've got a kid here from... Abington, Mass, Bradley said. He just got released by the Padres. He's got a great baseball IQ and wants to stay in the game. Said Gammons, for a few thousand bucks, he can go scout the Cape Cod Summer League and give me reports on players there. How about Gammons? Wow. That's how great Gammons is. Gammons just won his reports. That's why he was always hanging around the Cape. Hazen took the gig. After three weeks, Gammons called Bradley. You ought to see these reports, Gammons gushed. They're amazing. Within a day or two, both Gammons and Bradley called Mark Shapiro, a Princeton alum. Dude, this is how the network works. This is why you go to college right here. You, you guys seen how this goes? Like Princeton guy, taking care of Princeton guy, taking care of Princeton guy. That's big. And Cleveland general manager at the time to rave about Hazen. Shapiro gave him an internship a month later, Shapiro called Bradley. This kid's going to be a superstar, Shapiro said. He's going to make his mark on the game, said Bradley. Mark Shapiro made sure he had a scouting background. Mike was overseeing scouting and directing minor league operations. Everybody knew he was an Ivy League guy, but the fact that he played gave him even more credibility. That's big. It is. I, there's no other way to put it. The fact that you're an Ivy League guy. It's going to come with a stigma. It is. But I will tell you. If you played and went to an Ivy League, all of a sudden, people are going to look at you differently. And it's not, look, the stigma of the Ivy League is not negative. It's not. It's just people are going to be cautious a little bit because they're going to think you're a sabermetric geek that wants to go play rotisserie baseball and we might as well get rid of all the players for ais uh, you know generated ball players that that's going to be the over the top extreme element of 
the Ivy League stigma. Stanford deals with it too. But all the things like, say, starting with Scott Bradley, with what he's saying, I mean, that's that's what you want. That is really, really big. So it says here, this is good, this is getting into Young's story. So Young's path to Princeton began with a phone call to Bradley from a kid from Texas named Ryan Cotton. Coach, I've been admitted to Princeton, Cotton said. I can't throw, I can't hit, and I can't run, but I love baseball and would love to help you out in any way. Cotton said he had been assisting the Dallas Mustangs, an elite travel team run by Sam Carpenter. Dude, we've played the Mustangs. We absolutely fucking donkey stomped them. They've gone downhill since, though. I think they got some good teams still, I guess. But what happens with the big travel program is they start multiple teams, multiple teams. The more teams, the worse you're going to get. That's it. That's something that we're very conscious of at LTP. So as we expand, we want to make sure the quality of the product uh, stays dialed in. Okay, he said, uh, there's a 6'10 pitcher. He's really bright, really talented, and you should talk to him. Bradley soon called Young. From their very first conversation we ever had, I was impressed. Bradley said the conversations were unbelievable. I asked him, where do you see yourself in 15 years? He said, very firmly, standing on a major league mound. Bradley followed Young's basketball team at Highland Park through news reports. It seemed as if he was dropping 20 points every night. An idea came to Bradley. Would you like to play two sports in college? He asked Young. I would love to. Bradley walked down the hall to Princeton basketball offices where assistant coach John Thompson Jr. was sitting. John, what are you guys looking for in your next recruiting class? Bradley asked. He said, we need size. It's 6'10 enough. Bradley told him about the center at Highland Park. Hey, I think we had tape of Highland Park. Another kid sent us, Thompson said. Let me see if I can find it. Said Bradley about 10 minutes later, he comes storming back in my office, practically knocking the hinges off the door. Chris basically became basketball's top recruit. He became a force. If he stayed all four years, he probably would have broken some of Brad, Bill Bradley's records. He was the absolute perfect tailor-made Princeton player. He could shoot and pass. Young pitched 13 years in the majors, a 79-67 record, the most wins by a Princeton alum. One night during the pennant race of 2015, Young was preparing for his start in Kansas City. The next day when he learned... His father, Charles, had lost a three-year battle with cancer. Young wanted to honor his father and his commitment to his teammates and took the ball the next day. He threw five no-hit innings. After dad passed, Bradley said, the Royals got to the World Series. He called me and said, Coach, I need you here. He put us up in a hotel in New York. Young won 2015 World Series Game 1 against the Mets with three shutout innings of relief and started a win in game four with four strong innings. After winning his ring as a player, Young is four wins away from winning one as a general manager. But to get there, the Rangers must beat an Arizona team run by his friend and fellow alum. When it comes to the architects of those two storybook turnarounds, this is an all Princeton World Series. Tiger versus Tiger. Hazen versus Young. Bradley's first captain versus Bradley's first major recruit, 25 years later and right there in the stands at globe life field just as together they wished it to be will be their coach quote i just booked my flights 
and I'll be there for games one and two, Bradley said, and I'll be rooting for the World Series to end in a tie. <laughs> Fantastic article. Really, really good. I, this is from Sports Illustrated. Let's see who wrote it. Tom Verducci. Our good old friend, Tom. That's that dude. Tom, tip of the cap, bro. That's Henry Markin, by the way. Our social media director at No Filter Network. He hates it when I just come on here and read articles. He, he's just like, ah, dude, you know, you're dead. you could just read them anywhere. And I mean, I, you know, it's better. We'll just do this or that. And I'm like, Henry, look, I get it. But when you go stand in front of a microphone for 45 minutes, sometimes you have to go ahead and get locked in on that article. And when you do things for yourself, and I'm serious about this, like things that really like hit home with you. And then you're able to share those with other people. There's a genuine authenticity to it. I think that fucking matters, Hank. So there it is. Your unlikely Rangers Dimebacks World Series story on this morning's Daily Hustle. Your thoughts, Henry? <sighs> I agree to disagree with you about reading an article <laughs> live. But you know what? Until that show is my show, I'm not going to tell you how to make your bed, man. Um, good morning, Mr. Burns. How you doing? Oh, buenos dias. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hit the settings so we could split the screen so it's not just me talking and you talking. I actually, you could do it. I did this last time. Oh, really? Look at that. Um, is this yeah. a live technical update on No Filter Network? Maybe I can't do it, dude. I, I swear to you, I, I switched it like mid show last time. This but... is this is so this is so beyond you. If you could pull this off, if you could be this tech wizard live and still entertain people, you need to be on network news. I mean, this 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 is a new this is a new thing for you. Well. Well, maybe not. So don't maybe get, not. Don't, don't, get, <laughs> don't get so excited too early. <laughs> All right, I'll put the flowers back. So, um, my thoughts on you know the World Series. I'm think I'm with you, dude. I you know I'm I'm very much of the opinion that baseball is awesome when you have two teams limp into the playoffs and they're squaring off in the fall classic. I think that is like the best thing about postseason sports. I don't need the one seed playing the one seed in this like textbook chalk finals. I kind of like when things get ugly and things get scrappy. Cause that's like what sports are all about. Uh, I, I don't need, I don't need like the most money here versus the top. I don't want to see Dodgers Yankees. I don't give a shit about that. I know that's the national appeal, but to me, that just says money versus money. I don't care about that. Yeah. Here's my, only issue with this one because it has all the storylines we've gone over them the fact that the two teams limped into the postseason they're two right. teams that lost over a hundred games two years ago they're one of the i mean they have the fourth worst record over the past two years right their, their team's three and four with that like it's amazing so they're here the only thing this might lack just one thing is the ultra competitiveness. This isn't the Yankees and the Dodgers, the Astros and the Dodgers, the Red Sox and Do like it's just there's something about this 
that says, number one, I'm wholeheartedly convinced this is going to be a fucking amazing series. It will go seven. It's a bold call because a lot has to happen. But as far as games, if if you want to put your money in a spot, because we're all degenerate gamblers here on No Football right. Network. That's how the show and network started. But if there's a place to put your money right here, and I don't know if you could get value out of this. We, we could check. But I would go all in on the series ending in six or seven games. Now, you would probably have to pay like two to one. Does that make sense? So you yeah. probably have to put 200 to win 100 on that bet. But if there's one sure bet heading into the World Series, that is it. I couldn't tell you who's going to win it. I don't have a strong opinion one way or another. I couldn't tell you if it's going to go seven. That's a tough thing to guarantee. But to say that it will go six or seven, oh my God. Like I can confidently say there is a 90 fucking percent chance this thing sees at least six games. I think I'm with you. Um, I'm ready to say Rangers in six just because Bochi is God tier. Um, I don't know enough about Toro Lovella. I know you love the dude. I know you ripped me in half when I came on that one time. We we're talking managers, and you pretty much introduced me to how good Lovella is as a manager. I just, I just don't see how you can beat Bochi right now. He is absolutely in his bag. The players are reaching new heights. Creed playing after every time Adolis Garcia hits hits a fucking nuke. That that there's something spiritual happening in Arlington right now. I think. Maybe it goes six, maybe because of a of a fluke walk off or something in Arizona at the Snake Pit. But give me Rangers in six. How about that? I like that. I just believe that it'll be tough for the Rangers to go in and say take two out of three in Arizona. So in order for them to get it done in six, they basically would have to sweep the first two at home and then go in and what get one more game, then finish it off, get one game in Arizona and then try to finish it off back. And I just think that the home field thing has proven to make little fucking difference here in the postseason. It right. hasn't mattered. The diamondbacks obviously winning those last two games in Philly, the Astros couldn't win a fucking game at home in the postseason, yet they couldn't lose on the road. So we'll see what happens here. But the Rangers, I I think it's going to be a fun series. One that there's two teams that haven't, look, the Diamondbacks 0-1, so it's 22 years. The Rangers, it's been 12 years. The question is this, and we brought this up and we've tweeted about it. We've made reels about it. Is how low are the ratings going to be? <laughs> Fox is doomed, dude. Like, there's no, there's no way that they're going to compete with football. And now they got basketball going on. Like, it's they might be the last dog at the bowl. I hate to say it. I mean, even hockey is getting this massive appeal with the Frozen Frenzy and our boys at Snipes and Stripes. The, the, there's, there's like five different things going on in in the sports world right now and I, I don't think this is a priority for a lot of people unfortunately 
What if you're a baseball fan, though? I could see a lot of baseball fans actually, you know, tuning in to game one. But if this gets ugly quickly, you know, think about like, what's a Yankees fan going to do in this series? Like he'll watch, he or she will watch, even like a Detroit Tigers fan. They'll they'll tune in like a, a baseball fan. But if this gets, if this turns into an, an absolute massacre and Boshi just comes in with a sword and quickly cuts him up. I I don't I don't see the ratings even nearing say like a, a Warriors Kings game on Friday night in Sacramento, of all places. That beam will be lit. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, I said it. Trying to tell me yes that a World Series game on Friday night, Game One, Rangers versus the Arizona Diamondbacks, their ratings on television will not match a golden state warriors and sacramento kings friday night game at the very beginning of the nba season you're fucking crazy are we on record i'll say it again i'll say it again we got battle in sacto the beam is at stake here on espn the return to the graveyard, Steph versus De'Aaron Fox, Chris Paul versus a new fandom of hatred. I think this game will have huge, massive television ratings, and I think it will be very close and perhaps just barely beat out game one of the World Series. We said it. It's probably going to be great baseball. I'm, honestly, it's probably going to be incredible baseball. Bloody, gritty, sweaty, passionate, crazy, miraculous baseball but I don't know how many people will watch because it's, it's the Rangers versus the D backs and, and the NBA just started. There's that, there's that fresh appeal. There's no fatigue. The Kings are fucking exciting. I don't know, dude. I think I'm ready to put, I'm ready to put my heart out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a serious limb. Take my money. Kings warriors have a more, uh, a prestigious higher rating, more viewership than game one of the world series on the record. Market. You are going to be proven so wrong. Now, Ooh. I think I already owe you dinner and drinks because of social media That's accolades correct. that No Filter Network has achieved. That's correct. But I want to put those yeah. back on the line, man. Yeah, let's do it. I, yeah, because it could there be. Is a- no, there is no way. Like, I may look, I get it. Warriors Kings are a big deal, big deal in this area. I think the national NBA fan is going to tune into that game but it's just not that time of year yet this is it's it's there's no way it's gonna outrate a fucking world series i'm you know what i'm with you let's let's bet let's put my steak dinner on the line let's make this two nights two nights of ruth chris uh a freaking platter of lobster on the side if i win it's gonna be a massive spread If, if if you're right then we're back to Getting scrappy in Nashville and seeing who's buying drinks, but I, I think, I think I got this one, and I think you're going to be in a massive uh, dinner debt to me. Well, I, I, it'd be a sad day for baseball if I am, so I'm not rooting for you. Correct. All right, wait. What else is going on? What's up with Brock Purdy, dude? What happened? Okay. Well, so I came on a couple days ago, and I was pretty disheveled about Brock Purdy in the state of the 49ers. And then it was revealed that Brock Purdy actually is now in concussion protocol. Yesterday, the big news, Schefter 
sound a massive Twitter bomb and said that it's looking like Sam Darnold is likely going to start due to Brock Purdy being question protocol. That was the reaction of a lot of people. I also look back at the game that the Vikings beat the Niners. Brock Purdy was playing with a concussion. It was that third and one, fourth and one double tush push that they just shoved him out there trying to get the yard. I hate how everyone thinks because of what's going on in Philadelphia with the brotherly shove that you could just replicate that across the league. You can't. Jalen Hurts can squat 600 pounds and he's following a Hall of Fame center in Jason Kelsey. And he's got freaking AJ Brown on his right cheek and DeAndre Swift on his left cheek shoving him through. That's why that play works because you got like a, a collective force unit of 2,000 pounds. Brock Purdy is 5'11, 180 pounds soaking wet. He's he's my size. He's he's me out there. Well, I can't do it. I'm gonna be broken in like a toothpick. So he lost. He threw a couple of picks. He was probably playing with a concussion. The reason I'm very optimistic about this game featuring Sam Darnold is because of the season lasting implications. What could happen? So the Niners have a bye week after the Bengals. So let's say Sam Darnold goes out there and plays the game of his life. I already said he's a must start because his entire career is riding on this game. If he goes out and poops his pants, you know, shits all over himself, has diarrhea on the field, he will never be able to get that starting role somewhere else. And he'll always be in that underworld of backups, you know, with the Nathan Petermans and the, oh, the, we got to play Chase Daniels. And the, sorry to shit on those guys if they're listening, but you know what I mean? This is his shot that whatever happens with the Niners, whether he plays for the Niners as a starter with some crazy circumstance or he goes somewhere else, if he has a great game, he can be a starter and this is will revive his career. So definitely play Sam Darnold if you have him in fantasy. If you picked him up, start him. I am Dr. PPR is doing it. I've said it all week. Start him? Start him. This is I mean, Shanahan. Why, why the this fuck is, would you start him? Because it's a must-win for the Niners. You have, you have one. Debo, of the you, have, you have Debo back? No, you probably no, don't. Fuck no, dude. If Purdy can't operate without Debo, at I, this is know, a very different quarterback. Rate, Sam Darnold's not going to do it. Sam Darnold is a runner. Sam Darnold is a very accurate, uh, gritty passer, uh, and he makes the uh, deep ball throws. He, he's he's risky, and it, it's a very calculated decision. Then so, why isn't he with the fucking Jets, man? What happened? Because Adam Gase is a moron calling plays. Skip Thanksgiving so he could study only to lose like 40 to zero. <laughs> Anyways, that's another topic. But let me let me get on with my point. Go the ahead. reason why I'm so optimistic is the fact that if Sam Darnold goes out and has a good game, which I think he will. I think these are his numbers. I think he's going to go 230 to 240 yards, two touchdowns, 40 yards rushing, perhaps a rushing touchdown. That's a great game. Beating the Bengals is even better. Right, if he does all that, you now go into the bye week with a very, very complicated choice. It's not going to be Darnold's team if they win, but what it does mean is hey, listen, Brock, if there is even so much as a hiccup, a slight hesitation going forward, you could be subject to be benched. And we're going to play Darnold because the window is now. This is this is a pass or fail. Win or lose the Super Bowl team. This, this, I know Giannis came out last year and said, is it a failure if I don't win the NBA Finals? In the Niners' case, it is. That's the mentality this year. It is a pass or fail class. The window is right now. Who knows what's going to happen next year with the, how the salary cap is going to butcher that team? So 
I think if Sam Darnold has the game of his life, which I think he will, it puts Brock Purdy in a very short leash going forward. What? That's my prediction. Yes, 100%. 100%. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? 100%. Yeah, I know. My calls are coming out hot today, but I, I think you'll find that this is the world we live in. It's not just about clicks. It's about predicting the crazy shit that will happen. Yeah, but you're basically taking a guy that three weeks ago we were calling the next Joe Montana, and you're throwing him to the wolves because of a maybe concussion. We don't even know that he's actually even out for this Sunday's game against the Bengals, yet you have already appointed Sam Darnold, not only the starter for this weekend, but maybe even being the guy that's going to lead them to the Super Bowl? What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Are you feeling okay this morning? I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. Trust me. This has been a, just a glorious morning. No, I said Sam Darnold is going to play. They're not going to throw Brock Purdy out there. They're not going to risk injury. The injuries are already starting to build up. Sam Darnold is playing. So the likely start, it's going to be Sam Darnold. He's going to play. They're not going to... I'm not going to risk having Brock Purdy turn into Tua and throwing gang symbols at the 50-yard line after he gets hit too many times in one week. That's not going to happen. He's going to play. My yeah. point is that Brock Purdy – yeah, no, the, the NFL, they're not going to allow stuff like that. It's going to ruin the game. My point is because there's a bye week and because there's this time in between whatever happens this weekend and two weeks when they play a game – it creates this, this cloud of uncertainty, the, the competitiveness between QB1 and QB2. It's Brock Purdy's team. This is definitely Brock Purdy's team, but it's his team to lose. If he comes back and they have all these matchups they should win, like beating the Browns and beating the Vikings, if they do not execute, it won't be a very generous, hey, you have a couple more weeks. I bet you Shanahan does something as drastic as putting in Sam Darnold if Darnold does well against this Bengals team. This is a team. The Bengals are trying to win the Super Bowl just like the Niners. They don't have the record that the Niners do, but make no mistake, come January, it's probably going to be Mahomes, Lawrence, Burrow, and Josh Allen in the playoffs fighting each other to win a Super Bowl. All due respect, Henry. You do a fantastic job as our social media director here. <laughs> I like your Dr. PPR. You're actually the one that got me on Puka Nakua, who has been fantastic uh, for the silver belt bucklers the entire season. I think that your predictions here this morning are so fucking ridiculously off base that I'm concerned about your mental health. Saying that the Warriors in Kings game is going to outrate the World Series is asinine and then now following that up with the fact that you believe sam darnold is going to come in and take brock purdy's job for good even when purdy comes back makes me think you're even more fucking insane than that so on that note dude our time's up here on the daily hustle any final words for the hustlers here this morning uh, i hope for your sake about the baseball games that you're right otherwise Warriors Kings take that and I win. And I really hope it's Brock Purdy's team. But if I'm right, I'm right. And more steak dinner for me. On that note, 